Hello and welcome in to Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Hey, another uh, football week. It's not a bye yet, so I'm feeling pretty good. How are you doing, John? Uh, we're inching closer and closer to some meaningful rankings. I think it's you know pretty exciting. That's why, of course, we're recording on Wednesday this week. Start to, start to get into the groove of recording on Wednesdays. Don't want to put a podcast out before the college football playoff rankings are even out most weeks. So, you know, we'll move to Wednesday, Wednesdays. You'll still get your weekly fill from uh, from airing it out here. But well, well, and just so people know then, you know, for, for those who, who aren't, you know, checking, you know, refresh on the college football playoff rankings every week. Uh, the first rankings will not be coming out this, uh, not next Tuesday night, but the Tuesday night after. So in, in two weeks, those are the rankings that really matter at the college football playoff committee. Penn State, you know, wins this week. They'll certainly be in the conversation for one of those top four spots. I don't think they've kind of earned or proved themselves there yet. But again, these are the rankings that matter. And you know, that's why we're, we're moving to Wednesday, so we'll be able to talk about Tuesday night. Yep, absolutely. And, and like you said, it's the first Tuesday of November, just to make it a little more simple for everybody out there listening. Uh, I know I was confused. I honestly thought it started next week, which is not the case. Uh, but anyways, let's, let's start by talking about this past week's whiteout game. Uh, obviously, a massive game, uh, massive implications there because of what it Honestly, probably what it means more for Michigan than Penn State, as as you've said in the past, and I tend to agree with you, the, if Penn State loses one game before Ohio State, it's not going to matter much if they beat Ohio State. Uh, and this season's really going to hinge on that Ohio State game. But still a good win nonetheless, uh, back-to-back uh, wins against ranked teams. This one, of course, being at home. And some some issues that I think Penn State should be concerned about. But but first, let's start with Sean Clifford, who we are going to start with every single week because he is the fulcrum that decides where this Penn State team goes. Uh, what did you think of Clifford's performance against Michigan, and what do you think it means moving forward? I mean, you know, he 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 was not great. Um, I think it was you know kind of similar to Iowa in that regard. But you know, the key is that he did not turn the ball over. And you know, for for Sean Clifford right now, that's what's really important here. I think you know we we saw him. Uh, you know, he didn't connect on a couple of deep passes. You know, he did have some explosive plays. So, you know, he's still trying to find the consistency, still trying to tweak that footwork. But again, I, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm not really concerned about Sean Clifford. Um, I may, maybe I should be, but, you know, I, I feel like he's, you know, he's doing enough. And I don't know, when, when the offense had that five-drive lull there from the second quarter um, until the fourth quarter, you know, 24 minutes, Penn State gained 42 yards. I, I, I don't put that, I, I don't think you can put that all on Clifford. Again, the, the running game vanished. The, the Penn State didn't have Noah Canaan. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I, I mean, Kirk Herbstreit told us Friday, he thinks that Clifford can make all the plays, you know, can, can make all the throws. It's just a matter of, is there a receiver who gives him that vertical deep threat because KJ Hamler is more of an underneath guy. And we saw him connect you know, there, I'd, I'd really like to see, I know I'm kind of throwing in a lot of topics here all at once, but, you know, I'd like to see, you know, more Justin Shorter or Daniel George, they need to become more of a threat. So it's not just a Hamler Fryer move. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to take out of Saturday's game, but, you know, again, Sean Clifford, I don't think he's going to, uh, you know, pin up this game program in his bedroom or anything, but, you know, I, I don't think there's anything for him to be, you know, ashamed about. If I'm him, I'm, I'm happy with this game. Yeah, I think he played well enough to win, and I think that's what they're going to need from him most weeks. Of course, uh, if you're a Penn State fan, you'd still like to see him take that next step into being an elite quarterback, which I think, you know, he has a chance to get to by the end of the year. We're only and seven yeah, he's seven, seven career starts. I mean, yeah. hey, you got to start somewhere. Um, and I think where he started and you've been able to see his growth, and I think, you know, we saw right after the bye, you know, against Maryland, uh, 
you know, just how good he can be. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, these are some growing pains here, but the important part is that he's not making a lot of mistakes when it comes to turnovers. And that has really been key to Penn State's success so far. One of the, the best teams in the nation in terms of not turning the ball over. Yep, and that's that's really all you can ask for him at this point. Uh, a lot of times with young quarterbacks, you'll get those, you know, those nerves will manifest themselves uh, themselves in in turnovers. And for him, it's been a little bit of skittishness in the pocket, which we didn't see as much of against a strong Michigan defense this week, which I think is a is a good sign for him. Uh, of course, he's got one more test before the uh, before another big time matchup against Minnesota. That's this week against Michigan State. We'll see how he does then. Uh, it's another tough road environment. He didn't you know, look his best against Iowa. Uh, I, I still have some concerns there about how he's going to do in those types of environments. And, you know, he really needs to get those under his belt to get uh, to get that experience and to just sort of feel okay in those situations, which is, you know, the mental part of it for him is going to be big. But you mentioned he, he's got two interceptions this year. And we talked to him after the game, and he was pretty frustrated when he found out that he had two. He said he shouldn't even have those two. And uh, But I think that says a lot about him and his mentality and, you know, how he views, you know, the security of the ball and how important it is to hang on to it. Uh, I think right now he's playing well enough for Penn State to make the playoff. And, you know, if he continues to improve, then then who knows where the season goes. But but for the time being, I mean, this is this is really all you can ask for as a Penn State fan. And, and, you know, I know I say this every week, but, you know, I think it bears repeating. You know, again, we, we see a lot of room for Sean Clifford to improve. You know, certainly he's, you know, not hitting every throw downfield. You know, he can certainly improve on those passes that are more than 20 yards. But, you know, again, if you look at the rest of the Big Ten, you know, it's not, a, it's not as if this is a, a conference, you know, swimming in quarterbacks. You know, after Ohio State's Justin Fields, you know, uh, Sean Clifford would be the – overall in the Big Ten, Sean Clifford would maybe be the second or third quarterback I take if I'm able to, to draft a QB in the Big Ten. So after Justin Fields, you know, maybe one QB comes after him. Yeah, I think at this point it, it might be Clifford. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Jack Cohn last week uh, for Wisconsin, and then, of course, they yeah. lose to Illinois. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you, you see Clifford out there not having those sort of uh, fatal mistakes that, that Cohn had against Illinois. He threw that pick that allowed them to go downfield and win the game uh, on that game-winning uh, field goal. But, you know, I, and I think that matters a lot, and, and I'm with you. I think, you know, if he's not third – or if he's not second, he's definitely third. But I, yeah. honestly, right now, I would put third him second. Third is the floor, second is the ceiling, which that's not too bad right. for a first-year starter. I mean, before the season, Pro Football Focus had him rated just over 30 in terms 31st, of – 31st, I believe. Yeah, you know, best quarterbacks in the nation. And, you know, I think that's proven to be, you know, pretty darn accurate. I, I think, you know, he's – you know, that that's probably right around where he belongs right now. Uh, and – yeah, I mean, listen, if you're a Penn State fan, you know, Clifford hasn't been perfect, but if you're not happy with the way he's playing, uh, you know, you, you need to, like, you know, tweak your expectations a little bit. Again, this is a rookie quarterback who's limited turnovers. You know, Penn State's undefeated. I mean, I, I, I put a lot of that on Clifford. I think he's done a really good job to this point. Yeah, I'm totally with you. But, but let's touch on a point that you mentioned earlier in passing. And honestly, we'll touch on a lot of those points that you mentioned earlier. Uh, but, but let's start you with know, that. You have a lot of caffeine today, John. I mean, you're – you know, you're talking a little fast uh, today. I'm worried about your heart, buddy. <laughs> we're, we're amped up here. This is the first time I've been in the office today. Uh, honestly, been working a lot today and finally get to unleash some of it in, in the form of talking with oh, we you. Got, we got to give you some rant time a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. We'll, we'll get me going at some point. Oh, I, I think I know it's going to do it. So <laughs> Penn State running back. We'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. But, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail you here. But, yeah, no. Let's. I mean, let's talk about that offensive inconsistency that – 
that we've seen time and time again with this team. And then, you know, it rears its ugly head again against Michigan. They go, uh, I believe you said 24 minutes without. 24 minutes, 42 yards. Yeah, that, that's, that's unbelievable from an offense that has started off really hot in some of these games, including this one. I mean, they put up 21 points uh, before Michigan touched the scoreboard, and then all of a sudden they win by seven, only scored 28 on the game. Uh, so what are you blaming that offensive inconsistency on? I know how I feel about it. I wrote about it Saturday, by the way, which you can check out on centerdaily.com. Uh, but, but what are your thoughts on, on why this offense is struggling for long periods of time? Well, if I had a concrete answer, I would probably be making six figures as consultant for the Penn State staff. But, Fair. Um, you know, it's just really odd with Penn State because, you know, the, the storyline completely changes. If, if Penn State scores those 28 points and they're spread out over four quarters, you know, every two to three drives they're scoring a touchdown, you know, we're, we're not talking about this. I mean, 28 points against Michigan – certainly isn't bad. I mean, Michigan has a very good defense, but, you know, the fact, again, it, it kind of comes in bunches and then Penn State's offense just disappears. It's just, it's just very odd. And, and I think it, you know, for a couple of reasons, I think, you know, one, um, you know, I look to Michigan's making adjustments and then Penn State's not making them fast enough. You know, that tells me that, you know, again, I feel like every time Penn State's offense struggles, I put something on the shoulders of offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie, but when you have all this talent around you and it, it, it fails to kind of reach its expectations, you know, who else do you go to? And, you know, I would say right now, I mean, you know, these are players that, you know, have kind of proven their talent. You know, you look at, you know, like Michigan, for example, struggling on offense and you wonder if, well, you know, maybe these guys aren't so good on offense with Penn state. I've never really had that doubt. I mean, you can see, you know, the, the way Devin Ford can change direction on his tippy toes. That kid's got talent. I mean, you look at, you know, the athleticism of Justin Shorter, I mean, with, uh, you know, the, the size like he has, you know, that, that, that's not in doubt. I mean, you look at, you know, Clifford's ability to, you know, fix his issues from one week to the next. I mean, those are all great things. So, you know, I guess this is just a roundabout way of, of me saying that I think it, it you know, it's got to start with Ronnie. And then, you know, as far as the play calling is concerned, uh, you know, I, again, I, you know, I look at the personnel and I look at, the fact that they chose not to put Noah Kane in when, again, if your offense is inconsistent, I mean, Jesus, man, he, you know, we, we referred to Noah Kane as Mr. Consistent, held the team as a nickname for him called Noah Gain, G-A-I-N. You know, the, the his teammates last week just waxed poetic on how great it was to see this guy carrying, you know, three defenders at a time. So I think it was a huge mistake, them not putting it in, putting him in. And, and I think that led to the inconsistency of the offense. So, you know, to me, those are the two things that stand out right away. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is those deep shots that they call that don't always land. And, you know, if you can land one early, maybe you land a second and a third, it looks like you're gaining momentum when in all actuality you're just hitting on the big play. Uh, and sometimes, like you said, you spread that out and it's a little less uh, alarming for fans. Uh, and, and I think the biggest issue was during those laws, they weren't, uh, they weren't hitting on those deep shots, which is how this offense is generally scoring. But like you said, and I mean – we were going to touch on this anyways and may as well touch on it now The Noah Kane is, is not playing enough. I mean, it's, he's just not playing enough. He's, he's separated himself. This is as someone who said that Devin Ford was the best running back on the team going into the year. Noah Kane is the clear number one well, back on the, the team. Show, I was a Noah Kane guy from the very beginning. Something but. about a broke clock twice. I don't know. You'll figure it out. Uh, the, uh, but the, but the biggest issue is here. I think, I don't think it's Ricky Roney. I think some blame has to fall at the feet of Juwan Sider. I mean, you, you need to play your best backs, and for all intents and purposes, it sounds like he's in charge of the running back rotation, has autonomy there. 
uh, and and they're not playing Noah Kane nearly enough. I, I mean, I know. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, um, and I mean, it does sound like ultimately it falls to the position coach in terms of timeshare and, and everything like that. But it is something they talk about as a group. It's something they agree on, you know, ahead of every game. And something that we've heard from James Franklin repeatedly is, hey, if someone has a hot hand or you know, the flow of the game, something changes, you know, we'll adjust. No, they haven't. No, they have not. And I think that was on full display against against uh, Michigan. Yeah, and, you know, I, I get it. Ricky Slade had that big run early, uh, and he hasn't seen the best blocking this year. Uh, in his defense, you know, you know, we get on him a lot for how he's played this season, but he's he's not getting the blocking that some of the other backs are, and he gets the blocking, has a huge hole and busts it for 44 yards up the middle. Um, but but you can see most of those backs make that play in that situation. And mm-hmm. and truth be told, there's there's not a lot of reason to be playing anyone other than Kane for at least 50% of the snaps at this point. He's, he's the clear best back on the team, like I said. He's the guy that when the offense is struggling, he can keep the chains moving, which when you hit those balls, which we've seen is such an issue for them at this point this year, you need someone, like you said, who's going to consistently get yardage for you. And Noah Kane is that guy. And yes, maybe you have to run it more than you want with this you know pass-heavy offense, which I understand is not it goes against the grain sort of what you want to do schematically but as far as I'm concerned if you're hitting those laws and you find out you know maybe you have one drive it doesn't work whatever a second drive things start to fail again that third drive you need to go to someone who's going to consistently get you yardage consistently move the chains for you and to this point that's been Kane and and, and honestly they also need to work underneath a little bit more with Pat Fryermuth too some of that falls at the feet of Sean Clifford because he does miss him uh, more often than he should but but they need to work underneath more to sort of open up those big plays uh, and, and by all means, those big plays are very important to this offense and very important in football. You need to take a ton of shots, especially against most <coughs> Big Ten defenses. But, but right now, they also need to mix in at least a little bit of underneath game to sort of open that up and, and give those guys the opportunity well, to stretch the field. Let, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. W- one thing that did cross my mind, and, and I'm just kind of speculating here a little bit, but, you know, if you're not going to play Noah Kane against Michigan, the only reason that I can think to me that would make sense is uh, the fact that Michigan blitzes all the time. You know, maybe they're worried about Noah Kane's pass blocking. You know, he is a young guy. You know, maybe, you know, Ricky Slade or, you know, Journey Brown is, is somebody they're more comfortable with. You know, I, I, I'm really not sure. Um, you know, to me, that would, you know, that would make some semblance of sense. I still think then you need to adjust, which they didn't do. But, you know, maybe that's why he didn't factor into the game plan as, um, you know, dominantly as we kind of thought he would. And, you know, that's why I think, though, against Michigan State, um, you know, we could see a whole lot more, you know, of, of Noah Kane compared to what we saw in the Michigan game. One thing Michigan State does is they take away the explosive play. You know, if you're going to beat Michigan State, it's almost better to have that conservative game plan, you know, get those first downs, have those long drives. And if you're going to, to beat Michigan State that way on Saturday – um, it sure seems like that should start and end with with Noah Kane. Yeah, and and honestly, we've seen this, like you said, with Michigan State in the past. They're going to back their corners off. They're going to play cover four like they always do, which means dropping into four zones deep to make sure you can't beat them over the top, occasionally rolling a safety down to prevent the run. But the main thing is they're going to play off. And we saw this last year when Penn State played Michigan State. 
they kept trying to go over the top to KJ Hamler, which has been an issue at points for this team. Uh, they just need to get him the ball underneath. And we'll in all likelihood see it again that Michigan State's going to back off KJ Hamler, and they're going to need to get the ball to him underneath. They're going to need to get the ball to the running backs like Noah Kane out in the flats and let them make things happen because that's how you beat this Michigan State defense. That's how you beat Pitt's defense. It's how they did beat Pitt's defense on occasion uh, when they did score in that game. Uh, but but right now we're we're not seeing enough underneath work. We're not seeing enough you know, sort of, they talk about taking what the, the defense gives you. Well, they give you seven yards of, of, you know, off coverage that you need to attack. And we'll see if they do it this weekend. But that's been part of the issue for Penn State in the last two years facing Michigan State. They just, they don't attack underneath enough and it causes issues for them. And they're all, they're shooting for that big play. And like I said, I, under, I fully understand that and I fully endorse that. But at some points, some teams are, are going to make it a point to t- exclusively take that away. Michigan State is one of those teams. They're going to do it a lot, and you need to beat them underneath. And we'll see, honestly, if they can make that adjustment to get guys like Hamler, guys like Kane, Frymuth, Shorter, George, whoever, you name it, the ball underneath against this game Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's funny. uh, When you look at Michigan State, you look at Penn State. You know, to me, Michigan State is almost kind of – their defense is kind of what the fear is that Penn State's offense becomes. And by that – maybe that's a weird thing to say, but by that I mean it's – you have to see all this talent. I mean, it's impossible not to see the talent. Michigan State, uh, I, wanted to say, I want to say, returned at least eight defensive starters. And after the Arizona State game, you know, two, three weeks into the season, beat writers there were already proclaiming, hey, this Michigan State defense might be the best that Mark D'Antonio has put out since the 2013 season where they went to the Rose Bowl. This could be the best Michigan State defense in a long, long time. And, you know, then what happened? Uh, Michigan State faltered, you know, there were, there, were, there were some injuries and, you know, better teams just picked apart the Spartans to the point where they went from that to, you know, three straight games where they allowed more than 30 points. So again, I mean, they have all this talent, they have all this potential, but they failed to live up to it. You know, with, with the Penn State offense, I think so far they've, you know, kind of reached expectations for the most part, although we've seen them struggle against better teams like you know, like a pit, you know, like, you know, a, a, you know, an Iowa, um, you know, where they haven't put up, you know, lit up the scoreboard a lot. Um, you know, we've still been able to see that talent and they've been able um, more times than not to, to really light up the scoreboard. So, you know, I think that's kind of an interesting matchup to watch this week, uh, you know, sort of uh, Penn State's passing offense versus, um, you know, the Michigan State secondary and especially, you know, the big play and it's kind of talent on talent, potential on potential. Yeah, and, you know, what you mentioned is a really key point here, and that's that Michigan State defense has been shredded the last three games. It's not like oh, they're, yeah. they're just getting beat. They're getting dominated. Uh, Indiana put up 31 points on them in, in a game that Michigan State won 40-31, to 31, but it was close late. Uh, Ohio State beat them 34-10. to 10. Wisconsin beat them 38 to nothing. I mean, there's not a lot to say about the defense at that point. If those, if those teams are going to light you up like that, Penn State's within that realm of offense. They should light them up as well. And we should be looking at a 30-plus point performance from, from Penn State this weekend. But uh, Should we? I mean, the, the last – Penn State has only scored more than 24 points against Michigan State once in the Franklin era. And that was three years ago when the Spartans finished 3-9. and nine. You know, it's just Michigan State matches up well against Penn State. And, again, I feel like one of the big reasons for that is because Penn State lives and dies on the explosive play. And if there's one thing Michigan State's defense usually, <clears throat> excuse me, usually doesn't give up, it's the big play. Even if you look at past defense this year, 
Michigan State is mediocre, but if you look at yards allowed per completion, which, you know, helps measure the big play, the only team in the nation that's better than Michigan State right now is Ohio State. Michigan State's allowing less than 10 yards of completion. So, I mean, when you, when you look at those scores, I mean, it is, you know, it is absolutely crazy, and that's why they're hoping this buy allows them to reset. And that's why I think when you just look at those games on face value, uh, I mean, I don't think fans should make a mistake. I mean, this is not a team to underestimate. This is not a defense to think you're going to put up 30, 40 points against. I mean, I think the over-under for Vegas is, is 43 and a half. I mean, I, I think if Penn State scores more than 24 points in this game, they win. And I, I don't think that's going to be – I don't think that's – I think that's far from a guarantee. Well, and that's what I was going to say. If you look at these past three games, you could say this team was – it's a Penn State falls in line if there's three offenses. That so should. I just cut you off yeah. while you were about to completely. <laughs> and you just let me go. You're like, okay, fine, make my point. <laughs> hey, so if you want to make the point for me, by all means, you can you can carry that heavy I've got a sore throat here. You know, you need to carry me, Sauber. Uh, well, but, but everything you said is exactly right, and it's exactly what I was going to say. This, this is a matchup that presents a lot of uh, problems for Penn State. The three offenses that took advantage of it, found a way to take advantage of the Michigan State defense because they can beat you underneath. And as far as Ohio State's concerned, they're one of the best offenses in the country and have one of the most explosive playmakers at quarterback in the country. Very true. Uh, but a, a team like Wisconsin beat them underneath. They beat them on the ground. Yeah. And, and they, they tore through them to score 38 points. Now, I do think if Penn State executes that game plan that they can do it, I don't think they're going to execute that game plan. I well, think they're going to do what they've done the last two years. And I think this could be closer than Penn State fans want it to be against a Michigan State team that might finish 7-5, and 8-4. and four. Like, it's not a prolific Michigan State team. And I think we could be looking at a potential for a Penn State loss here if, you know, if, if something weird happens, if Sean Clifford turns the ball over once or twice, then you start to play in Michigan State's hands. And then who knows what happens. But if, if they're willing to adjust the strategy that they use every single week, which you need to do in, against this Michigan State team, then you're going to have a chance to blow them out. I just don't expect them to do it. It's been two years in a row that they haven't done it. And two years in a row, honestly, where Brian Lewerke has looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the country against Penn State for whatever reason. Uh, but, you know, this this isn't a good matchup for Penn State, given what they want to do. If they make adjustments, they're going to win going away. If they don't, they're putting themselves in real danger once again on the road. Uh, you mentioned Wisconsin. And, and, and you know, don't click through it because uh, I know this by heart, but I'm curious if you do. You know, you mentioned Jack Cohn uh, from Wisconsin kind of picking apart uh, the Michigan State defense. You know what he finished passing? Uh, I think he only had 150-some yards in the game. Um, but completions. Oh, uh, couldn't tell you. What, what guess in the 20s? 18 of 21. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, I, I mean, it was – you know, there was some tight coverage from – I think it was Josiah Scott from Michigan State. Um, but I, he just kept – you know, Cone was able to find his receivers on those short passes, and uh, there was just – Michigan State then then couldn't adjust. I mean, if you're if you're hitting those you know those, those short passes, like you know again, Penn State has the talent. I mean, goodness, you know, throw it to KJ Hamler, you know, out of the backfield. Uh, you know, now's the time to you know try to get Ricky Slade involved in the slot if you want to. I mean, you know, it's these short passes that that are really going to help them. But look like you wanted to make a point there, John. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say that again. What you said is exactly right. But but <laughs> you know, I never to... get tired of hearing that. So whenever you need to interrupt me to let me know, I mean, trust feel, me, feel free. I, I definitely get tired of saying it. I promise. But but as long as you know, Penn State, they can still run those deep routes because you need to take those safeties with you, take those cornerbacks with you, clear out the middle of the field for KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson. You have Justin Shorter, you have Daniel George. Both of them can get down the field. So send them down the field, even if they don't produce as far as receptions and yards this game or in targets even. 
they could be a big factor if they can take two defenders with them. If uh, you put Justin Shorter on the outside and have him take a safety that goes with him over the top of the corner that's on him, then all of a sudden you've got more field open for KJ Hamlin and Jahan Dotson. We'll see if Penn State will do it. I, I mean, we've both seen these last two games, these last two years. They're not learning. And I don't, I mean, Yes, Ricky Ronnie has been much better this year. And, you know, I think the hope is, uh, if you're a Penn State fan, that he has learned at this point. We'll see. This is, a, this is a pretty good litmus test for him to see how much he can adjust from game to game because this is not a game that should have any similarity to any other game plan, even Pitt, because they didn't do it against Pitt either, and they should have. Uh, we'll see if they make that adjustment. We'll see if they work underneath. Uh, but like I said, this is a dangerous game for Penn State and one that I, I don't think is going to be a walkover. I know a lot of projection models have this as a 17-ish point win for Penn State. Ooh, no. Yeah, I, I would lean closer to, like you said, if they score 24, they probably win. I would guess 24 to 17-ish right now. Uh, of course, we'll make formal predictions at the end of the pod, but you know that. But that's a right around the score we expect this to be. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see 17-13. I wouldn't be surprised if we see 10 to 7. If Penn State makes adjustments, then 35 to 10 is all of a sudden in play. But they have to make those adjustments. I cannot say it enough. It's adjustments that they haven't made in the last two years in these games. And I understand the circumstances of the first game with the the what three and a half hour delay and everything that was involved with that but this isn't a team that shows it's willing to adjust against Michigan State and if Michigan State doesn't have to adjust they're not going to because Mark D'Antonio is going to run that cover four defense till he retires and you know uh, until Penn State figures it out you know it's a good game plan against the Nittany Lions yeah I just want to build off you know one thing you said you you mentioned uh you know litmus test and one one aspect of this game that I think is going to be another good litmus test for for Penn State is special teams um, you know, we know, and, and it's funny, James Franklin repeated this last year ahead of the Michigan State game. We know they like to fake punt. We know like, they like to, you know, do fake field goals. We know they love their fakes, so we're going to be prepared for that. And what happened? Uh, they did not look so prepared. Um, you know, there was a reason why, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Phil Galliano was pushed out. You know, the only reason he wasn't fired is because they knew they could get him another job, and it would look better than having two assistant coaches fired in the offseason. Phil Galliano did not do very well um, here, and he needed to be replaced. Well, um, you know, Joe Lorig right now, I mean, I think he's done a fantastic job this season. I mean, you look at Penn State special teams and, and all throughout, I mean, they've, you know, they've, they've really improved. I mean, look at kick coverage against, you know, Michigan. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, field goals. I mean, certainly having Jordan Stout certainly helps with that when you have someone who can probably nail a 60-yard field goal, but – I mean, Penn State has been really impressive in that respect. And, um, you know, I think that's one area that cost Penn State against Michigan State in the past. And if anything, for, for special teams this weekend, I would give the advantage to Penn State for once. Yeah, and they should have it. I mean, they, they also have in the return game better playmakers than Michigan State does. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good special teams unit. Uh, you know, Bill Connolly uh, rates the SP plus rankings. We've talked about them numerous times in the past. It's basically a metric that's all encompassing and sort of tries to project moving forward. I love Bill Connolly, although I have seen his last name spelled like 20 different ways. Yeah, uh, most of them wrong. All of them wrong, really. I don't think anyone spelled that last name right. And, you know, tough to blame them. Too many double letters really in there. It's, it's real difficult for, for uh, journalists especially. You'd think we'd be better at it. But uh, anyways, with this Penn State special teams unit uh, – he has them at being 0.3 points per game added on special teams. And I mean, it's, it may not seem like a lot, but that's 20th in the country. That's a lot. You know, that's a really good special teams unit, especially when some of the top teams in the country, like Alabama, is negative from that aspect. They're losing points per game for Alabama. 
Uh, so, you know, we should see a big advantage for Penn State and special teams. But what is Michigan State ranked? Do you know? Uh, we can find that. Uh, actually, while we do that, let's take a quick break. And we're back. Uh, but yeah, back to this Michigan Our State. researchers <laughs> found the data we were looking for. And by that, I mean Sauber knows how to Google. Uh, yeah, well, Michigan State, you know, ranked as the number 28 team of the country, 80th in special teams SB plus at negative 0.1. Wait, huh? Did you just say Michigan State was 20th? 28th in the country overall. Okay. Which uh, has everything to do with their defense, and I assume their defense in the first four games than more than anything else. Well, now this just has me questioning Mr. Connolly's entire rankings now. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you, th think, think you should on that one. Connolly is very good at this. Uh, but I just need Michigan State 28. I mean, you yeah, know, I understand. I fully understand. But this is a team that two of its losses are against two of the top 10 teams in the country. Oh, that's true. Uh, even though Wisconsin sort of blew it this past yeah, week. Yeah, and but that Arizona feels, State. Yeah. That's yeah, a bit that was close. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was ranking, um, maybe I'd put them in the 30s at some point. But, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, if you're going to get creamed, uh, you know, make sure it's against two of the top 10 teams in the nation. Although, well, I guess Wisconsin isn't top 10 anymore, but I think that point taken. I think that game was more of an outlier than anything else. We'll find that with yeah. Wisconsin. I, for instance, I think this game against Ohio State this weekend is going to be much closer than people are expecting after Wisconsin just lost to Illinois. So it sounds to me like you're telling people to uh, take Wisconsin plus 14 in this game. Uh, that's what it sounds like. That, that's <laughs> definitely what it sounds like. <laughs> but, uh, no, this, this Wisconsin team is good, and, you know, getting blown out by them is, is I mean, it's not that big of a deal if you're just a middling team, which is where, uh, a middling Big Ten team, I should say, if you're, which is what you are if you're Michigan State. Uh, and, you know, a top 30-ish team isn't, isn't too far out from most of the middle of the Big Ten. Uh, but, yeah, this is a – the special teams area is one where Penn State has a distinct advantage, and we'll see what they can make of that advantage. Uh, like you said, Michigan State loves their trick plays. Penn State has not been prepared for them in the past. They should be with Joe Lorg in charge there. We'll see if they are. Uh, but it's a good Penn State unit, too, that could pull out some tricks of their own. They, I mean, we saw KJ Hamler lay down and then Journey Brown yeah, uh, that, fake the throw back. I don't know if that's – I well, want to be clear. I don't know if it's illegal or not. Franklin was asked about it. It's funny. Um, um, the Athletics Audrey Snyder and I, we had a discussion on, on Sunday about it because Deadspin ran an article Sunday that was like, hey, you know, Washington got flagged for this, you know, illegal, you know, weird-looking play. It was unsportsmanlike conduct. And – so for people who have no idea what we're talking about, let's just kind of catch you up to speed really quick. You know, as you mentioned, um, there was a play where K.J. Hamler was, was laying flat in the end zone. He was standing up at first, to be clear. He laid down after the kick. Correct. Um, uh, and what Washington did is the player from beginning to end, as soon as he got on the field, he laid down. And then, you know, the player in front of him, um, the equivalent of Penn State's Journey Brown, caught the ball. Uh, the player in the end zone pops up, runs to the 20-yard line um, on the near the other sideline, and the the player who caught the ball uh, ends up throwing a lateral pass across the field to to this player who you know at that point again you know they weren't really aware he was there catches it you know takes it um, you know to about the to about midfield um, and the refs throw the flag. And the reason they threw the flag is that play was disallowed about two or three years ago. And hopefully, have I explained that enough? I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, hey, I, I threw this player to this player. Okay, fair enough. Uh, um, and it was, of course, my conduct called um, because you're essentially camouflaging the player. The refs have been instructed, if that happens, to treat the player who's down like an injured player. So he's ineligible to, you know, contribute to the play. Now, Franklin was asked about that Tuesday, like, essentially – 
hey, you know, James, we saw it looked like what you were trying to do. And again, Journey Brown, fair catch. You know, there was no return, no penalty. It's kind of like, you know, James, are you aware that this is illegal? And, you know, his response was that they looked into it. You know, they know, um, I guess the, the important distinction uh, for Penn State is if you start the play laying down, then it's illegal. But if you start standing up and then you lay down, completely legal. So that is some Bill Belichick uh, mind games right there, you know, knowing the loopholes of the system. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll see that against Michigan State, but we haven't seen, you know, outside the box thinking like that on special teams. I don't know if we've seen that at all since Franklin has been here. So it's a shame that they couldn't take advantage in that situation. But I mean, that's something definitely to keep an eye on Saturday. I mean, if you see uh, KJ Hamler go down in the end zone, um, you know what's coming next. Yeah, and, you know, that, like you said, it's very important that Hamler did not lay down until the ball was kicked off. Yeah. And it still has the same impact because the the, uh, the gunners aren't looking, you know, if they're looking downfield, they still don't see him. You know, they still lose him, basically. Uh, and he still has open field. Of course, he was pretty frustrated when Journey Brown Fair caught that. It looked like he had a, uh, Hamler would have had a lane to, to run that back. Uh, you know, we'll see if they implement that in the future. I think that could be something you see saved for Ohio State. Of course, Penn State was trying to get a little bit of a jolt when they ran it against Michigan. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned Washington. It should be no surprise, of course, that their special teams unit is second in the country, according to Bill Connolly, with some trickeration like that. Mm. Uh, they, it, it, you know, I, I understand why they rule it like that, but it also is just sort of like a no fun uh, police thing where I think, oh, you yeah, know, I'm, bring back the annexation of Puerto Rico, man. Like, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, the fumble, I, I love those play, Statue of yeah. Liberty play. Like, come on, you need the, the backyard football. Who didn't run the Statue of Liberty playing backyard football? Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring back the Princeton V and, and all that, I say. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we saw it earlier this year. I think it was the Tulane game that they ran the fumble ruski that worked really well and ended up winning the game because of it late. Uh, but, yeah, that sort of stuff deserves to be in college football. It's part of the fun of the game. Uh, I think it's a shame that it's a penalty now. But – Good on Penn State for finding a loophole and finding a way to keep it effective. We'll see if they use it the rest of the year. Uh, but, yeah, the, the special teams battle in this game has been one that's been really important. And I think it's going to play another important role, especially if Penn State doesn't adjust on offense because then you're looking at a one-possession game again and the special team's mistake or a special team's big play can can be the deciding factor in a game like this, uh, <coughs> especially in one where, where the offense for Michigan State hasn't been good this year, although, like I said, uh, Brian Lewerke seems to play out of his mind against Penn State. Uh, but but we'll see. I think this is going to be a fun matchup this week, and we'll see if uh, if Penn State is up for it with the adjustments, and they can just maybe run away with this one. At this point, though, I, I sort of doubt it. Yeah, it's weird. Brian Lewerke is kind of bizarro Nate Stanley against, uh, you know, Penn State. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think this one's going to be a fun one to watch. And, um you know, it's just right now uh, Vegas pegs Penn State as a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and I know we're going to get into our predictions in a, in a little bit, but, you know, some people think this is going to be a blowout, and, you know, I think, you know, it's probably smarter to, to pay attention with, you know, what Vegas is, is saying. And, you know, that's that this is going to be a close, you know, hard-fought game. And, you know, everything we've seen from, you know, Penn State and Michigan State over the years is, you know, leads us to believe that. that I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, how far apart these teams are, you know, the way Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio matches up with Penn State, you know, it's it's Michigan State is to Penn State as Penn State is to Iowa. I guess that's that's how I put it. Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what what Lewerke is this weekend, though. Uh, like I said, he's he's weirdly good against Penn State, weirdly average or, or slightly above average against other teams. But 
the last two years, he's really blown up Penn State. Uh, and I think that's going to be the matchup that I'm paying attention to most is, is him against the secondary. Uh, he doesn't have Felton Davis this year, which I'm sure Penn State fans will rejoice over that. Uh, Davis has destroyed Penn State in the last two years, uh, 20 receptions for over 300 yards and, and three touchdowns in the, in the last two games, both, of course, being, being wins for, uh, for Michigan State and one possession wins at that. So we'll see where they go there. Uh, they, they still don't have the, the weapons to match up with Penn State on offense. So who knows? Maybe, maybe Penn State basically doesn't score much, but 21 turns into a 21-3 game that never feels close because Michigan State can't get it going. I, I think there's a reasonable shot that happens. Uh, and honestly, like I said, uh, while the defense of Michigan State is good and was good earlier in the year, uh, some losses, some, some injuries have affected that. And We'll see if they can hold up against uh, another offense that's near the top of the Big Ten. I, they've obviously struggled with them in the last three weeks, including Indiana, which has had a good offense this year and has been a good team this year. So, you know, we'll see what, what Michigan State can do. Uh, where do you think this game ends up? You know, what, what are you looking at as a final and, you know, a total for this game for, uh, for all of the gamblers out there? You know, if, right now I would probably say um, I'm going to go uh, Penn State 24-20. So – I know that's right about where the over-under is. I, you know, I know what I just picked is the over by yeah. a half point, but there is no way in hell I would still bet the over in this game. I'd either, I, I think I'd stay away from the over-under in this case. But, yeah, I mean, I think Penn State, um, you know, it's going to be a close game. But ultimately, you know, I see Penn State coming out on top. I, I think that, you know, they're smart enough to, to run Kane in this game. Um, you know, I, I think we see a different type of Penn State offense that we've seen. You know, earlier this season, I think Penn State makes the adjustments, and I think ultimately Penn State wins a good game. Yeah, I'll go 23-17. to 17. Uh, I have reservations about this Michigan State offense. Uh, like I said, wouldn't be surprised if they score less than twice in this game. Uh, but I'll go 17 just because they do have a good special team still, or have at least have good special teams against Penn State. They're obviously not good this year, as I mentioned. But but we'll see what, uh, what they can conjure up against Penn State. Uh, I'm sure, like I said, this game will be closer than people want it yeah, to be. I mean, be. That's just, there's so many wild cards in this game. I mean, you know, the defense, you don't know what defense is going to show up. Is it the one against Arizona State that had people harkening back to 2013? Or is it the one against Wisconsin that allowed Jack Cohen to complete almost all his passes and route to a 38 nothing loss? Penn State's offense, you know, we've got one that played nearly perfect in a 59 nothing win over Maryland. And then just didn't show up for half the game against, you know, Michigan. You, you don't know kind of what you're going to get from either of these teams. They can both play like they're one of the best teams in the nation. And they can both play like, you know, they're only, you know, one tier above Rutgers. Yeah, and, you know, the, there's I meant another... that as an insult, by the way. Oh, that wasn't a complete Listen, complete. if someone's bringing up Rutgers, it's clearly an insult. <laughs> it doesn't matter the sport. One tier. Point. I think right now at this point they're both about ten tiers above Rutgers. But then again, I think Liberty is at least Well, they're favored. I was just going to say by that. By more than a touchdown. Liberty is favored by more than a touchdown against Rutgers. I, I mean, I'm not going to say anything else. It's not worth saying anything else, but that's all you need to I know. Rutgers, Rutgers is a dumpster fire. Well, I thought the seven and a half, plus seven and a half was enough to let everyone know that Rutgers was a Well, I just fire. like to verbalize <laughs> it because I believe they should be shamed and embarrassed at every turn for putting out such a piss poor product on the field that you know beat writers and fans you know must endure and and you know are forced to watch yeah it it, it but, has to be nice for Penn State though they get an extra buy heading into a potential Big Ten title game with Rutgers the week before so I'm sure that's at least uh, beneficial for Penn State fans nice little you know Thanksgiving uh, week I believe that's Thanksgiving weekend of, of relaxation there uh, but another matchup we didn't touch on much, but the Penn State defensive line wasn't really consistent uh, this week against I mean, Michigan. We didn't get to the quarterback, but I mean, I don't think that's something that concerns me at all. They, 
I mean, he looked at, you know, same way first half against Pitt. That wasn't exactly a harbinger of, oh, no, they're going to be mediocre this season. Michigan has the best interior Penn State's going to face all season. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, Patterson didn't take too long, you know, dropping back. I am not concerned about this defensive line, even just an itty-bitty little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. But for me, it's a matter of the consistency of it. We see them – we don't just see them disappear for a quarter. We see them disappear for a game. Uh, and we've seen it several times already this season. I still think they're one of the best units in the country. There's no doubt about that. I'm just interested to see, is it one of these units that shows up for games and, you know, vanishes for others? And I, don't, I don't even think it has to be big games. There's a chance this unit shows up big against Ohio State and then vanishes against Rutgers. They vanished uh, against Maryland. The, the defensive line had two sacks against Maryland, and that was Adisa Isaac getting both of those. And early in the game, Josh Jackson had time to throw the ball. He just, you know, bad. So it didn't matter. Uh, and Penn State was able to blow out Maryland. So I don't Your think – Josh Jackson's scouting report is accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a difficult one, I will say. But the, the Penn State defensive line's inconsistency isn't necessarily, necessarily indicative of what they're going to do that game or how the team is going to play that game. But I think having them, you know, show up for these big games is really important. And if they don't, then maybe that spells uh, trouble for the – for the future of this team, you know, we have uh, big matchups. I, I know we're looking forward to seeing coming up with Minnesota and Ohio State and those the D-line will matter in those games. Uh, but it's going to matter this week, too, because if, you know, if they pressure Brian the worky, this game will probably be a blowout and there won't be too much of a concern. But I don't know if they will. Uh, and I, I genuinely don't. And we'll see if it happens. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I project a one-score game. And, you know, obviously you projected one, too. Uh, but That'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.